Let us pray. Father God, we come before you. And we ask, Lord, that you continue to pour out your spirit here in this place. That you speak and it be you and not I. And that you send the Holy Spirit so that our hearts and minds can be prepared to be receptive to your message. Send your spirit so that as we open the scriptures, we have wisdom, clarity, and understanding. We ask these things in the precious name of Christ Jesus. Let everyone here say, Amen. Lessons from sowing seed. Number one, the first thing we are learning, and we'll go, and the text should be on the screen, Genesis 1, 11 to 12, is this. Lesson number one is that God created. God created, and how did he create? He spoke. By his word, God created. He said, and it was done. He said, and it was good. And this is something that we often miss, because if you remember when I talked before about some of the seeds and how it grows, we have no control over that. I can't take a seed right now, cut it open, and make growth happen. I cannot create a seed to grow, but I can create the right environment, the right water, the right sunlight, the right soil, all of these things. Then growth will take place. But all of these things happen because God created, he spoke, and by his word, it took place. And many times we forget that the word that God spoke in creation, he can still speak that word today. He's still a mighty power for God, and we take that for granted. Genesis 1, 11 through 12, it says, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit trees that yields fruit according to his kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was what? And it was so, verse 12, and the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind, and God saw it that it was what, church? It was good. God created by his word. I have to tell you, I take comfort in this because, you know, I myself, I have this... I worked for the city of New Jersey, started in the 97, and from 99 on, I got involved heavily in counseling and doing different things, and, and you know, you take these classes, you, you take child psychology, you start uh, looking at these things, and you apply that, you start psychoanalyzing people, and, and you're, you're figuring out what's happening, how did it go, you know, my brother and I, we're polar opposites, we grew up in the same home, in the same environment, by the same parents, and we're only three years apart, forever, we even looked alike. And people will confuse us and, and things like that, you know, what one with the other. And that's how close we were. And yet, when it comes to walking with God, we are polar opposites. And then, so here's the thing. My parents did the exact same thing with both of us in the exact same way, in the exact same manner, in the exact same setting. So was it something that they failed at? Was it something that they did wrong? They, they gave us both equal chances to grow with Christ. And something happened between his life and my life that we went opposite directions. Sometimes we have to realize that it's not how you raise your children. Sometimes it's a little bit beyond that. Sometimes it's not what you did or didn't do. Now, don't get me wrong. We want to give our children the best opportunities possible. We want to go above and beyond for them and create the best environment for growth to take place. If you plant something, you know, sometimes you plant a seed. One takes, one doesn't take. And you did the exact same thing. And you say, what in the world? But this is the part where you have to remember, God created by his word. He spoke and it was so. 
I pray for my brother daily. I don't know what's going to become of him necessarily. But what I do take comfort in is that that same word that God spoke before, God can still speak that word. He created by his word. And that word still causes growth today. Psalm 33, 9. Psalm 33.9, it says the following, for he spoke and it was what? Done. He commanded it and it stood fast. And so this is why we need to keep this in mind. And Jesus taught the disciples in Matthew 6.11, Matthew 6.11, he taught the disciples, and we should have that in the screen in a moment, that you pray in this manner. Give us this day our what? Our daily bread. You know, I struggle with people. Before I became a pastor, my last job was a financial advisor. And yes, you have to prepare for the future. Yes, you have to plan. But here's two things about this. Number one, spiritually, you live every day as though it was your last. I have no idea what's going to happen to me when I walk out the doors. I have no idea if I can even get off the pulpit. There's been many a preacher that have fallen off, had strokes, things like that that have happened. I don't know. You live spiritually as though every moment is your last. Physically, though, you want to prepare. Yeah, I have a college fund for my kids, and we prepare for retirement and pension and whatever else. You know, you do want to prepare in that manner. However, we must daily, daily also concerns of ourselves with today. I have seen many figures in the home, whether the men or the women, who abandoned their families, working 100 hours a week just to provide for the family while missing their birthdays and their graduations and all of these different things. You're so caught up in, in maintaining and providing a life and a future that you're missing what's happening right now. You're skipping out on life completely. How do you find that balance? How is it that you do that? Then you have many people in a spiritual sense speaking that when they first got into the church, they studied the Bible, they did different things, they were attending every single thing, and they say, oh, I remember back in the day, I used to do this, I used to do that. What about your daily life with God now? Are you speaking on the past of the good old days, how they were always great and everything was always tougher? What about today? Where are you today? There's an important lesson because no matter what we do, no matter what we do, if God is not in it, it means nothing. And if God is not in it daily, it means nothing. Give us this day our daily bread. That prayer was asked to teach us daily dependence of God. I don't know if you've ever had failure I have dealt and helped people out who've worked with bankruptcies. I have people who, they lost everything in the stock market. I have worked with people who suddenly they lost their job, they lost their house, and their car broke down all in one week. And then they couldn't figure out what to do, what not to do. I have people who lost their spouse, children, father, parents within a month. And they're saying, what in the world? Everything comes crashing down. Focus for today. Learn the source of your power. The same God that created by his word, he can still do that now. This is why after Jesus taught them to pray in Matthew 6, 11, give us this day our daily bread, he continues just a few verses later on Matthew 6, 30, our scripture reading for today, where it says the following, now if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? All you of little faith. My God is an amazing God. 
I mean, do you really believe in the power that he has? Do you really understand? Do you really know? He created by his word, and his word is still good. And he's still trying to keep that promise to us today. Psalm 65, verses 9 through 11. Psalm 65, verses 9 through 11. I I love this here because this is evident once more of who God is. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide the grain for so you have prepared it. Verse 10. You water its ridges abundantly. You settle its pharaohs. You make it soft with showers. You bless its growth. Verse 11. You crown the year with your goodness and your paths drip with abundance. And so we see that very clear over and over again. I mean, David was amazing in the Psalms. But throughout the scriptures, we're reminded of all that God does. And another thing that we're reminded is, not only does he create, not only does he provide, not only is anything by his word, not only are we need to depend on him daily by his word, by his word, by his word, uh, you know, give us this bread, give us this bread, give us this bread, daily bread. Not only do we see that. But also we see that everything on earth falls in line with the creator. I read a book some years ago called Evolution Dissected. When scientists are getting together and when they get to study things like the eye or the complexities of this world, how everything is aligned, how the earth, you know, spins at the right spin where, where, you know, in just such a way that we're neither flying off or being completely flattened into the ground. It's just right and precision and it's going all these miles an hour and you look at all of this and you say, how in the world does it all fit together? By chance? By coincidence, by an oops, it was by design. And everything lines up in accordance to the will of the creator. But yet somehow us, rational beings, you know, my wife and I were talking this day. We had two cats. We, we have a cat named Max. And, and uh, he, he's amazing. He's a, he's a defeated cat. You know, I, I started bathing him and he just sits there and just meow, looks at me like he doesn't like it. But he just doesn't do anything. Then we got Tunks who was feisty, I mean, rah, rah, you know, spins around and, 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 you know, all of these things. But she acts like a dog. And my wife was just saying this, day, you know what, I think she might be dumb. She just, like, chews some stuff and bangs into stuff. And, and, you know, she, like, really tries to jump and completely misses and drops to the floor. And, you know, we're thinking of that. And I have to tell you, I worked in a pet shop for two years. I can see the intellect in some of the animals and some other ones like, this guy's as dumb as a tack. I mean, what is that? I mean, so, so I have seen that, but we, we're not either bright or dumb animals. We're actually reasonable beings. We, ha- we were created in the image of God, and yet it seems like even my dumb cat can follow the design of God and the will of the creator, but we as rational beings sometimes seem to struggle with that a little bit. Look at Mark chapter 4, verse 28, and we should have it on the screen as well. Mark 4, verse 28, and it says the following, For the, the earth yields crop by itself, first the blade, then the head, after that the full grain in the head. You guys may remember that when we preach on, on this whole parable, but notice by itself, it all lines up. Christ's object lesson, page 81 and a little bit of 82, it says, These the Lord develops in their proper season because they do not resist his working. And can it be that man made in the image of God and thou with reason and speech shall alone be unappreciative of the gifts and disobedient to his will? 
Shall rational beings alone cause confusion in our world? Page 82. There can be no reaping unless the human hands act in part in the sowing of the seed. But without the agency which God provides in giving sunshine and shower, dew and clouds, there will be no increase. Thus it is in spiritual things, in the formation of the character, and in every line of Christian work. We have a part to act, but we must have the power of divinity to unite us, to unite with us, or our efforts will be in vain. So on the one hand, you have here, we are reasonable beings made in the image of God. Why are we going against the will of our creator? Don't you know how well life would be if our lives lined up in accordance to his will? He created by his word. And we must also partake in it. One of the problems that we have is that we try to do things alone and all by ourselves. We rely so much in our power and our might and our ability. I shared with you guys before how when the mortgage company gave me an ultimatum to stay in seminary and go, or, or you know, you could stay there with no job or you could come back to New Jersey and my wife and I was like, no, no, you know, we came here to, to, to study to be ministers. We'll, 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 we'll give up the job. It's okay. Besides, with my resume, my everything, I could get a job anywhere. And remember how I told you that no one will hire me? Not even fast food restaurants, and I had to like dummy down the resume and steal nothing. I mean, when God is in control, God is in control. We relied on our power, our ability, our might. You know, my name is um, Jose Ines Suarez Melendez. Now, I go by Joey because it's a little bit easier, okay? And, 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 and that's usually my name. You know how many Jose's are in the world? I mean, you guys even have a saying that says, no way, Jose. I mean, we're popular, you know, everywhere. You know how many are there? Man, when my wife and I went to school, we had an issue with my identity being stolen. There was some guy named Jose in, in Florida that was apparently living the life. You know, credit was shot. Everything was out the window. I had to prove that it wasn't me. It was so difficult. You know how hard it is to prove that this guy is not that Jose? I mean, come on, we all look alike. I mean, what is going on? And it took forever. But I went from an amazing credit score to completely being horrid. And it took me years to recoup from that, to send letters, photo IDs, you know, saying, look, it's me, you know, that kind of thing, and try to prove all of that. But your credit means nothing. Your income means nothing. Your house means nothing. Your car means nothing. All that matters is what does say of the Lord, and do you lined up with the word of the Lord which created? We put too much confidence in men, human inventions, and too little confidence in the power of God, which stands ready to give us whatever we ask for him. 1 Corinthians 3.9, 1 Corinthians 3.9, it says, For we are God's fellow workers, not on our own, but we're his fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. So number one, God created by his word, and that word is just as powerful today. Number two, there is a process. There is a process. We'll go back to a text we just read earlier, Mark 4, 28, but there is a process. And let me tell you about this thing. One of the biggest deterrents for Christians is that we get way too ahead of ourselves. We don't understand the process that God has before us. We get all upset because we can't do anything. You know, I, um, I started running. Um, 
I started running maybe a year or two ago or something like that. I can't remember with one of our church members here, you know. And it all started because I wanted to hang out with him, you know. He mentioned interest in baptism. He's still leaving me hanging, and someday maybe I'll get a chance to baptize him. But, you know, I started running with him, cycling with him, doing all these things. And, and, and so I, I love this group because I have to tell you, I've always sprinted. You know, play basketball, you play basketball, you kind of, you, you do a fast run and then you kind of, you know, go back and pass it around. But, but running is running. And so after like a minute, <laughs> you know, but I love his group because the group that we go running w- with him, and I've been a couple of times uh, with him, just, just a couple, you know, I don't, don't like running that much. But, but I love his group because everybody goes at different paces. And so you got some that are out there who are just crazy people, and then you have us normal people who stand in the back, and if we need to run a little bit, walk a little bit, catch our breath, but everybody at their own pace. Now, my, my, my watch keeps track of what we ran, and we did a New Year's run last year versus this year, and I compared the pace and the speed and all of that, and I was telling this guy, I was like, yo, you know, big improvement between last year and this year. Like, that was, that was all right. And so, you know, I, and I see that, and I've gotten a little bit better. You know, my, my nephew is training for the Air Force, and he has been running too. And when he got here in November, I was outrunning him, and he was, like, throwing up at the end of the run. Now he's leaving me, and I said, look, I'll just catch up. Just wait for me when I get there in just a couple of months. But there is a process. You cannot expect to suddenly be the best in the world. You have to understand little by little. You work your way up. Maybe you can can't do a quarter of a mile, but eventually you may be doing 20 miles. Him and I just did 25 miles last Sunday, you know, and, and so it is amazing how, how, how that works. There is a process, 25.24, I'm, just, I'm specifying, we, we, we went a little bit further, but you know, and, and so, um, and, and so, but there is a process, but here's the thing in the spiritual life, we get frustrated sometimes at the process, We get all cut up. Why am I not perfect yet? Let me tell you this. We can attain perfection. I shared with you last time, but even in every stage, you are also perfect. If you were a seed, whoo, that is a perfect seed. When you sprout, look at you go. You sprout it well, and then you grow, and then you start bearing fruit. The fruit itself is not perfect yet, but when it's nice and ripe, ooh, that's also perfect. We can be perfect at every stage. The idea is that we continue to grow. If we don't grow, we die, but growth takes place. Don't be upset because you, being a seed, can't bear any fruit just yet. It is okay. But there is a process for the earth yields, for the earth yields crop by itself, first the blade, then the head, after that the full grain in the head. Now, I know you're saying, Joey, yeah, I feel you, but we must be perfect, uh, sinless and blameless and whatever. We can do that and we can attain that. But even Jesus, Luke chapter 2, verse 40, Luke chapter 2, verse 40, and the child grew and became strong in spirit. So does that mean that he was tiny and needed to grow and was weak once upon a time? According to the scriptures, it was so. Then the child grew and became strong in spirit and in favor with God and men. There... You know what? I skipped the text here. There's another text behind it. Grew, <laughs> grew, became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now, verse 52. Next verse. And Jesus, increasing wisdom and stature, and in favor with God 
and men. So in wisdom, in spirit, in stature, in strength, Jesus himself also grew. There's an implication here that his parents, his teachers, people who were with him, work with him, they cultivated with him, they work with Jesus, they taught him many different things. And as he grew, he grew wiser, he grew stronger in faith, in belief, in favor. Jesus himself also had to go through his stages. He wasn't able to carry out his work or didn't start his work until the age of 30. He showed us some things there. There's a growth that needs to take place. He has some time alone in the wilderness for preparation. Paul also saw, spent some years in the desert. Moses did the same thing. Before you go out and do a great work, you may need to spend some time in the wilderness just like John the Baptist. Understand that there is a process. Lessons from seesawing is that there is a process. And Jesus, as a child, he had to grow. He grew in strength. He grew in wisdom. And we need to do the same thing. We need to take time to train our children, to prepare our children, to care for our children. We need to take time to grow ourselves. This is something that is very, very, very crucial. You know, I, uh, we had a school board meeting this week, and we were talking about, you know, two young children there who have grown so much and how they're not from the church, and how they have been completely transformed. They were being bullied before, and now they're here in a setup where um, uh, now they, they're not being bullied anymore, and, and they, they believe in God, and, and things are happening, and parents were giving testimonies about what took place. I have to tell you, the, I, you told me, I've shown you with you before the math that we have, 168 hours in a week. We can't expect our children to grow in Christ just for an hour to spend here at the church. And God forbid I go past 12, 15, now we're in trouble, you know. And, and so imagine that. But, you know, we got to give them the best chances possible. If you have your kid at school age, and, and, and unless you're homeschooling, Ellen White herself says that a, a dentist school has to be the next best thing that you could do for your children. If you have kids school age and you don't have them in the school, you're depriving them of more opportunities to grow in Christ. We need to take time to grow. There is a process for our children. Christ's object lesson, page 83, says, The little ones should be educated in childlike simplicity. They should be trained to be content with the small, helpful duties and the pleasures and experiences natural to their years. Childhood answers to the blade in the parable, and the blade has a beauty uh, peculiarly its own. The children should not be forced into a precocious maturity, but should retain as long as possible the freshness and the grace of their early years. I have to tell you, my kids are in the school. And there were so many things I already had done. My son is going to be 12 next month. By the age of eight, I had already learned to do many things, partaking of many recreational things. Now I just get high on Jesus. I had hot wire other things and borrow them that did not belong to me. And it's just so nice to see the freshness that he has. I, I mean, I'm ahead of the game with him already. And it has to do with the way that he is being brought up and the plays that he's being brought up and the opportunities that he has had. Because I learned how to hotwire, not at home. What parent says, I'm going to teach my kid how to steal. Well, I guess some parents might, but not my parents. But I learned that in school. I learned so many things in school. And it was not good. And so, you know, I got to see that even with my own children. 
page 84, the little children may be Christians, having an experience in accordance with their years. This is all that God expects of them. They need to be educated in spiritual things, and parents should give them every advantage that they may form characters after the similitude of the character of God. Every advantage. Let me tell you this. Kids at the house will drive you nuts. You give them an electronic just so they can leave you alone. Bring them to Sabbath school a little bit earlier today. Come out to AY or maybe put them in Pathfinders or maybe put them in the school so that during the week they could do something. I don't know. Every advantage possible. They will get much more of God now while they can in those settings than what they will from any device at home or any television or whatever the case may be. Now, don't get me wrong. I love my television and I love my devices, but what I'm saying is, I don't saying go home and throw that away. I'm saying come to church a little more and bring into more stuff and have them partake of more things. Do you see the difference? And so, so that's the idea, every advantage possible. Number four, you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. In nature, just as in the spiritual things, you reap what you sow. So if we, you sow seeds of compassion and sympathy and love, you're going to get compassion and sympathy and love. If we have characteristics of selfishness, self-love, self-esteem, and every act of self-indulgence, well, you know what? You're going to bring four of those very things. Galatians 6, 7. Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And so I got to ask you, church, what are you sowing? I mean, do you realize that everything that you sow keeps going on for a time and unto eternity? I have a, a friend, I won't say his name because the Adventist world is a small world, but once up at a time, 80 pounds ago, we used to work at a summer camp, and I would come and do the lifeguard trainings. He was actually the, the camp director, counselor guy. And anyhow, he was very nice, very nice. But I remember one time, this parent came, very nasty, barbarities and things like that. And I have never seen this guy just, just act the way that he did. And afterwards, I said, you know, I was going to jump in and help you because when I was in school, I used to like bully bullies. Like, hey, don't mess with them. Pick, pick on my side. Pick on me, you know, that kind of thing. And, and I said to him, you know, um, so what was there? What happened, man? That, i never seen that side of you. He's like, Pastor Joey, um, uh, ghetto begets ghetto. And, and, so, and so I said, ah, I got it. I got it. Yes, I can see that. And, and, and so, and it happens. I mean, the same thing happens with racism. You know, let me tell you this. I, I, I'm, the, I'm the least racist person you will ever meet. A Puerto Rican is this. We had Indians in the, in the island. Spaniards came with African slaves, and suddenly, somehow, we commingle African, Spaniards, and Native Indians from Puerto Rico, and voila, Puerto Ricans. That's why I got cousins that are darker than Brother Neil, and I got aunts that got blonde hair, blue eyes, and we're all Puerto Rican. Why? Because that's who we are. And when I came here from Puerto Rico, I learned that there was such thing as racism. Because we were all Puerto Rican. He said, oh, watch out. They're, they're, those are white people, and these are black people, and this is whatever. And I remember one time in middle school, somebody called me a name, you know, and, and, and I was there with some other guys, and they called him the N-word. They called me the S-word. And I said, what? Well, you know what? Well, forget you. you, you. And I called them, you know, not a cookie, but the other one. Why? Because racism begets racism. You were nasty, and you were mean, and you kind of provoked that. And, and that's not me at all. 
You understand? But why? Because that's, you read what you sow. You're nasty with your coworkers? Uh, and then, then how do you expect them to be kind back? You're mean to your neighbors? How do you expect them to be nice back? You, you are a jerk with your boss. You don't show up on time. You do all those different things. And then you come and say, uh, I need Sabbath off because of my religion. But you? Religious? What? You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. Last text for number four, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 and 15. Pursue peace with all people. Not just the ones that you like, but all people. And holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Verse 15. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. You reap what you sow. Number five, sow everywhere and a lot. Isaiah 32, verse 20, sow everywhere and a lot. Remember, we are to be co-laborers with God in sowing. Isaiah 32, 20, it says, Blessed are you who sow besides all waters, not just the ones that I like, not just the one that is warm, you know, no, all waters, even if it has gators, who send out freely the feet of the ox and the donkey. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. I have to tell you, you invest time, you know, uh, for, for you guys, the Campbells, and I can hang out with you guys all the time because, you know, three churches, 500 members, get a little busy, you know. But, but I have to tell you this, when I was a Pathfinder director, when I was a youth leader, it was a lonely job. It's like you're running everywhere. You come five hours early. Everybody shows up late. You pack stuff. Parents just dump their kids thinking that everything is going to pack itself and food is going to prep itself. And then they all leave. You know, you make it late at night from a long drive from one of those journeys. They pack and go and you're saying, well, I guess I'll unload the van on my own. You know, there are some jobs that are just very lonely. Melba, you're getting ready to do vacation Bible school and flag camp and you're going to start promoting that sometime or whatever. Recruit people because before you know it, it will be just you. Carrying everything, you know? And so you'll come on one side, and then you have to run on the other to live the other one, and you'll do that. It gets very, very lonely. But guess what? Even though it is lonely, and yes, we should recruit others, what you're doing for all of those young people, what you're doing for all of those young people is very meaningful, and it has eternal, eternal results. And that is a wonderful thing. Our teachers who work for pennies on the dollar, same thing. You invest, and it may feel like nothing. Your reward is in heaven. Sorry that we're streaming you here, but at least your reward is in heaven. And it is worth it. It is an investment in our young people. Luke chapter 6.38. Luke chapter 6.38 says, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So you, re, you, 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 um, you do it everywhere, you, you sow everywhere, and you sow a lot, and you will get that in return. Number six, Christ's death means life. Now, what about us? 
John chapter 12, verse 24. You may remember that from a, from a sermon not long ago as well. Most surely I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and what? It remains alone. But if it dies, it produces what? Much grain. Christ was that seed. And he died so that you and I can have life. He died so that you and I can have life. But also, if you want to grow yourself, what must die in your life? Are we put in death to self? Self-love? Self-interest? What is it that needs to die in us so that growth can take place through us? 1 Corinthians 15, 42 and 43 says the following. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. Verse 43. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. You sow it. You put it down. You let it die. And something amazing will grow. You have a tough time believing in God. Put your doubt to death. You're feeling guilty about something. You've asked God for forgiveness time after time. Put it down. You sow death. You will get life. You sow weakness. You will get power. What must die in your life? If you leave it there you don't bury it you don't put it down you don't let it die it remains by itself but when it dies much growth takes place what must die christ died for you and me what is it that needs to die in your life what is that thing that is keeping you from moving forward what is that seed that you're holding on to that you're not willing to throw down to sow it down so that it comes out the opposite from dishonor to honor, from, from, to glory, and, and weakness to power. And number seven, I mentioned this briefly at the beginning with the God that created, but I wanted to separate this. Number one, pastors never like to talk about five or six things. We always like to end at seven for some reason. And number two, because I wanted to make an emphasis on this. This is James chapter 4, verse 7, last text for today. It says, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Lesson number 7 from sowing is this. I learned this the hard way, and I told you this in my last two sermons ago, about that plant that was given to me. And my job when I used to work for, for the Hispanic Counseling Center in Camden, and over the weekend that thing just died on me. And then I noticed when I gave it water, it came back to life. And then I went for a week vacation. And when I came back, there was nothing that could bring it back to life. I realized, I realized that it doesn't matter for the past 30 years. I have a tree in my backyard that I have been watering and doing everything that I need with it. The minute that I cut out the sunlight and the water, it will die. That made me realize that in our daily walk with Christ, doesn't matter how many Bible studies you did and how many people you baptized, if daily you're not communing with God, just like a plant, just like any tree, you will perish. Now, can you go a weekend? Yes. But can you go on that two-week vacation? No. And yes, can you go a little bit without God? Probably. May God have mercy on your soul. But the best way to continue to grow healthy and strong is to daily grow with God. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. This is it. This is the last seven lessons from sowing seed. Next week I'll be here. We'll get to talk about a whole different parable and get ready to say amen or ouch. But I do want to invite you to pray with me. And then after the prayer, you can stand as the praising comes up and we'll have our, our closing song. Let us go ahead and pray. Father God, we come before you. This were 
seven different lessons, and, and uh, I know there's been a lot more as we've gone through the parables. But Father God, let us daily commune with you. Let, let us understand the concept of sowing what we reap. Let us understand how we ought to do this abundantly. And especially for number six, is there anything that we need to put to death? You've already died so that we can be saved. But perhaps there's something in our lives that we're holding on to that wants and for all needs to be sown in this honor so that it could come back in glory. Perhaps sown in weakness so that it could come back in power. Father God, whatever that is, bring it to mind and thank you. Because the same power and the same voice and that same word that God used at the beginning when he created is the same word that can create change in my life right here, right now. Father God, may you bless us and keep us. It is my prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let everyone here say amen.